O holy night, O night divine, what was the state of Bethlehem before that night over 2,000 years ago when Christ was born? Well, the Roman Empire ruled over the Jewish people and over the entire Mediterranean world. Over 400 years had passed since God last sent a prophet to speak a word to Israel. Malachi was his name. The Jewish people were eager for a Messiah to come to free Israel from Roman rule. Some, perhaps, might have been wondering whether God had forgotten about them. Sounds like a world in need of a savior. Well, let's fast forward to our world at the end of 2017. How are things going? North Korea, Iran, Russia, terrorism, fires, drought in California. Well, we could look back in time through the centuries, and that's just been a staple. There's just there's always turmoil. There's there's killing. There's evil. Well, on the positive side, at the end of 2017, we have a booming stock market. Unemployment's down to four percent. Real estate prices keep increasing, although this isn't necessarily good news for everyone. How are your family, your friends, your loved ones? In, in our you know, congregation, we have people who are, who are very sick and ill, and we have, I'm sure, in extended families. Babies are gonna be born in, in 2018, so there's the ups and downs of life, and all of that has been a part of the human condition. There's sickness, there's disease, there's death, there's pain, there's happiness, there's joy. And since that day when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sinned in the Garden of Eden, as our song said, long lay the world in sin and error pining. A weary world awaits. And into this world, baby Jesus appeared over 2,000 years ago. And oh, what a holy night it was, the night of our dear Savior's birth, the stars were brightly shining. There was a thrill of hope and the weary world rejoicing. Fall on your knees, oh hear the angel voices, oh night divine, the night when Christ was born. This little baby born in a manger in Bethlehem was like no other. But our gospel writer for today, John, doesn't tell us anything about Jesus' birth. Doesn't tell us about Jesus growing up. He begins by telling us that Jesus is God. If we move to verse 14, John says that Jesus was God descending to earth in the form of a human being. And actually, prior to this point, it wasn't not until verse 17 that he calls that he uses the word Jesus and then Christ. He says this, he describes this baby who grew up, you know, to be a man as the word of God who became flesh and lived among us, took up residence among us. The Greek word can also mean pitched a tent among us. And he intentionally uses this verb to draw his readers back 
to the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. Because when Yahweh, after he had taken the Israelites, delivered them from uh, slavery and oppression at the hands of the Egyptians, and for the 40 years that Israel was in the wilderness, God's presence was there in the tabernacle tent where they would carry the Ten Commandments that God had given to Moses. And in this first 18 verses of his gospel, and actually throughout the gospel, but especially in these 18 verses, John declares that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And he makes, in these first 18 verses, his first call to his readers to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, so that they and we may have life in his name. And John tells us near the end of his gospel, in chapter 20, verse 31, that that is why John wrote his gospel. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and have life in his name. Well, John, as I had said, begins his gospel by calling Jesus the Word. And he says, Jesus the Word was with God in the beginning and worked with God to create the heavens and the earth. This Word was God, as John says, but he was a distinct person from God. And we see that by when he says in verse 1, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John goes on to say that this Jesus, the Word in human flesh, brought life and light to human beings. He was with God from the beginning, and when God physically created the world, and then he created human beings in his divine image. Jesus was there with God, creating us human beings. So he gives us physical life. We also aren't just bodies. We have, we are able to reason and to think. And so we can process and, and see around us. And there's a thing, there's different types of revelation. And one of them is, kind of, is a general revelation. You look, people who may not believe in God, but you look around and you see the beauty, you see things, and it's just, we are wired to see that a God created all these things. And then there's that greatest revelation, which is what Jesus came to bring to human beings, and that's a special revelation of who God is, and that is where we get our spiritual life. So Jesus has given us life in its entirety. John says that this word was and is the light of God that shines in the darkness and that this light cannot be overcome by the darkness. This word is the true light that gives light to the spirit and soul of every human being. And this light was so incredible and so important that God sent a man named John the Baptist we call him the Baptist to distinguish him from our gospel writer, ahead of Jesus to bear witness, to testify, and to tell people that Jesus is the light of God to the world. And as we read in other gospels, people came in droves to the wilderness to hear this passionate preacher declare that God's Messiah has, had come. But John was only a messenger. And this light, who lived in human flesh, 
was greater than Moses. When Jesus lived in human form among God's people, human beings were able to see the glory of God the Father. We could see because Jesus looked like us and he went through all the things that we go through. He shared our mortality. He was born as a little baby in a manger. And in that holy night song, it says that we are kind of in a manger. He comes to lowly human beings to save them. He doesn't give up. He, he is still God, but he gives up a lot of his godliness while he's living here to live within our human body and our human limitations. The only thing he didn't pick up and do was sin like we do, but then he took that sin upon himself so that we could have salvation. And so towards the end of our gospel passage in verses 14 to 18, John talks about full of grace and truth. And then he also brings up Moses. God gave Moses the law. And in the Old Testament, that was God's grace and truth. And God manifested himself to Moses. But Moses, he only gave Moses glimpses of God and of himself. And then actually all the rest of the people were waiting. And then God was the one who brought down God's presence. He brought the... Um, you know, the Ten Commandments that God had given to them. God spoke through Moses to speak to human beings. And then as we know the law, we couldn't keep the law as we sinned again and again and again. And then the people of Israel made sacrifices at the altar to atone for sin. But because we just kept sinning, we just had to keep, people had to keep doing that again and again and again. But Jesus comes and in verse 18, what Jesus does is Jesus allows us to see God without anything held back. And as John writes, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten, the one, the only, the unique son who is in the bosom of the father. He has declared him. He has revealed him to us human beings. And Jesus, as we know, is the perfect fulfillment of the law which God gave the people of Israel through Moses. And it's Jesus gives us God's grace and truth in full through his living as a human being and dying on the cross and rising again. That's the ultimate revelation of God's grace and truth for us. So this is such a long, meaty passage. I've only just spent a little bit of time just trying to explain some things in the passage and there's so much that we can apply to our lives in this majestic Bible passage and if I were to attempt to even try to do that I'd probably keep you here you know until midnight tonight until 2018 comes in but since I'm not your rector and I'm not Father Jose, you are not going to allow me to keep you here till midnight. And actually, you know, you're probably not even going to let me preach here until noon. I think you'll all come storming down. Okay, enough, enough, enough. 
But let me at least say a few things. And I'm going to start with verses 10 to 13 that I haven't really I haven't touched upon. And this is the part where it deals with people accepting and receiving Jesus and people not accepting and receiving Jesus. And the question that is posed here is, does a person believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Or do they not? Because we see in this, some do, and many, and some do not. And then also as we look at this, I think it begs the question, why do some believe, and why do others not believe? And what's involved in believing and accepting Jesus, the Word? Because John tells us that Jesus, the Word, is available to every person. And there are a lot of things that go into accepting Jesus, believing in Jesus, but I'm going to boil them down to two main things. And one is God's initiative, and another one is our human response. So let's start with God's initiative and really just looking at this passage. God sent Jesus to give every person the right, the authority, that's a Greek word, the opportunity to become children of God. And the opportunity whether to choose to accept or reject Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God. God leaves that up to us. And John also speaks of this divine initiative when he says that those who believe in Jesus' name were born of the will of God. And it is Christ's blood on the cross and God's will that produce children of God. And this is spiritual children, because we're all created by God. And I think we can say yes, in one sense, every human being is a child of God. But what's really important and really to be a child of God depends upon what a person does with Jesus. And Jesus, and in, this, in verse 18, he says he's the one and only Son of God, the Father. Jesus is a special Son. And throughout John's Gospel, or in other parts of John's Gospel, Jesus speaks of that special relationship that he and his Father have. He and the Father are one. And the great thing is that God and Jesus make this available to all of us. We can have intimacy with God through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. So God makes this available and that's what we hear in this passage but as we know God also works in us and some preachers speak about the hounds of heaven pursue people to draw them unto God. But then there's the human response. So there's God, but then there is a human response that's needed. And we read this here in verse 10. John says that the world did not recognize the word who created the world. And in verse 11, the word came to his own people, Israel, but they did not receive him. That's who Jesus came to. And most of the people, of the Jewish people, rejected 
you know, but as the, the Christians, the first Christians were Jewish Christians, and that's the audience that John, the first audience that John is writing his gospel to in somewhere in 80 to 90 AD. But then in verse 12, we read on the positive side that there are people who, do, who believe in Jesus and believe in his name. And to those people, God gave the right to become children of God. So there are two choices here. Believe in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus. And in that seminal passage of John's chapter 3 in verse 16, and then also in verse 19, John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Anyone who believes in Jesus is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Kind of some of the same things we read here. There's the choice. Now let's talk about you and us. And I'll just, we all have, are in different places in our, in our journey with God and, and in, our, in our following Jesus. And as, as I look back, you know, at, at my life, you know, I mean, I, I see both, but it's just, you know, it, it just seems to be it's a whole lot more God that has taken me to places first to come to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and then to, to choose to follow him and to, you know, go more his way than mine. And I'll just say this quickly. I grew up in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, it was a great place to, to, grew, to grow up. I went to school there. I started working as, as an accountant. Um, but, you know, I, I really, I was, I had a good life on the one hand, but I was lost on, on the other. And there, at, at many times, you know, I might go out and, and have fun in the, in the evening, but, you know, I'd come home and I'd be empty. And I really hadn't found my, myself you know, in working, and then I went to uh, God in His grace. Uh, I had my father beating on me for, not I me, mean, not physically, but <laughs> for three years plus, just say, You need to go to graduate business school. You need to go to graduate business school because he wished he had done that. And so he was bound and determined that his two sons were going to go. And then my brother's seven years younger than me. So from my age of, let's just say, from 26 to 29, my brother's only 19. 20, 21 years old and beating dinner and dad says, you know, you really ought to go to business school. Dad, I just started this job a few mo uh, months ago. And it's just like, and my brother goes, well, I'm going to go to business school. And he's saying that. And so I applied to all these business schools and I did not, I didn't get accepted. I kept getting rejected, rejected, rejected. And then I, I applied to uh, Columbia University in New York at a time, I wouldn't get in there now, but at a time when they were, no, I'm serious, that they accepted almost half the people, and they, they had kind of, you know, slept on their laurels for a long time, and, and I had seen so many rejection letters, and it's like the last one I hear from, and in mid-June, because, and I don't have a job at this point, all of a sudden I go, I go, wait, this letter's not thin like the rest of them I get. <laughs> so I got accepted and I went to New York City. And after a year, I thought I had gone there to go to business school. I definitely went there to grow up because I had a lot of growing up to do. 
I was definitely very wet behind the ears. And if you want to know how much money I gave to people who were saying, hey, I need to go up to Poughkeepsie. Can you, can you lend me $20? I'll pay you back, you know, later. Yeah, I have to admit, I did do that. So, um, but I found, several months into it, I found this great Episcopal church where the pastor's up there raising his hands and they're talking Jesus and all that, you know, in this place. So after a year, I knew why I had gone to New York and it wasn't to go to business school. And I certainly didn't find it, you know, on, on my own. And I can, and there was just some great people and God put me in touch with people. There were campus ministers. There's actually, you know, one lady, who, she's still with InterVarsity. This was in 19, in my second year of business school, I went to this campus fellowship and she was the leader of it. And she's still working in it. And there were people, you know, at my church who, their, God used them, used this church to bring me to California to go to seminary. I had wanted, God had planted in me, I had an interest in, in California, but it was Northern California. And so God used that to, to bring me out here and, you know, to go to seminary. And that's all I thought that I, I, at that time, you know, I wasn't sent by any church. I just said, God's calling me to go here. So at least that was the one thing I, you know, I did do. And this was part of the process of growing and becoming a, a just, I, I don't know, for lack of a better word, a better, you know, disciple. And then, you know, I got, when I left New York, I had gotten rid of all my accounting books, you know, bonus seminary. I'm not going back into this accounting, you know, one bit. So I go to seminary and then I'm hanging out at St. David's and um, they're not really paying me. And that's about several months into it. And I'm like, I don't have any money. I'm actually in credit card debt. I go, what are you doing? Um, and this was at the end of 2005. And, you know, a couple of years later, we had the financial crisis, you know, come. But so God woke me up and then God sent me on a temporary job to Los Angeles Mission where we serve the poor and the homeless. And I've said this to you before. If God would have told me you're going to seminary, you're going to finish and then you're going to go back into accounting and you're going to work on Skid Row doing accounting. I would have said, I'm sorry, God, I'm staying right here in New York. I like, I like my life. But I bring this up because God has used in my 12 years at Los Angeles Mission, has used that place to help me grow as a Christian about as much as anything else. It, it just really has. And it's and this isn't me. I mean, you know, when I think about, yeah, there's human response, but, you know, when you come right down to it, a lot of the time, I mean, I'm a knucklehead, <laughs> you know, uh, or it was like crack pots as a, as a preacher, a pastor that, uh, the rector that I had my church in, in New York would say, you know, we're just crack pots and, and that's really what we are. But like God is the potter and God is going to use his clay to heal up, to cover up those cracks in our pot. He's all that we need. And, and sometimes things aren't going to get better on this side of eternity. But God gives us the promise of eternal life that will sustain us and, and carry us through. So that's just a little bit, you know, about when I think about human response and God's initiative. There's, there's big God and then there's, there's little me. But as preachers have said, God plus one equals a majority. And God can do great things in us. But God, really, God just 
wants to do what he wants to do in us. And he's just looking for us to be available. Because he doesn't, yes, he'll use our abilities, but that's not first and foremost what he's using us for. And he's not always going to use our greatest abilities. Sometimes he's going to work through our weaknesses to accomplish his purposes. Well, what else? Um, you know, there are other benefits of, I mean, just believing in Jesus is the greatest thing in the world. And, and belonging to God is the greatest thing in the world. And it's, it's really the only thing that lasts. And it's what God and God's love and God's grace is what also binds us together with our family, with our friends, our loved ones, with other believers in Christ. Because we are precious in his sight. Children of God. All of us have been children. And hopefully, and it's not always the case, but we've had parents who have thought of us as special. For those of you who have children, who have grandchildren, they have a special place. And for God, let's just carry that forward to God. We are special to Him. So there's this belief that makes that changes everything for us, belief in Jesus. But then also there's the call in this passage to share Jesus with the world. And I think John the Baptist's inclusion in this passage communicates that. Like when you read chapter 1 to 18, and I preached on this passage because a little secret for those of you, um, those of you, usually Father Jose takes off uh, after Christmas. So I usually get this Sunday and, and this, this passage. Now where am I going with that? Oh, I've never, I've never done anything with John the Baptist. I just kind of skip over him and that because it really, it's just like, okay, he says something great, the word, you know, created the world, then boom, John the Baptist is here. You know, then he goes on for a while, then verse 15 is another, get John the Baptist in here again. Well, all John, all really John says in here is that John came to bear witness to the light, to Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And he tells people that Jesus is the Messiah. And as we know, that was God's purpose for John. And in this passage, that's all he does. So I, you know, asking why, you know, is it here? So that was John's call. But John's call to witness is our call. If we believe in Jesus, to share Jesus. And our mission statement here says that we are to, uh, to live Jesus, to share Jesus, to teach Jesus, and to take Jesus to others. That's our call. That was John's call, and that is ours. Because people everywhere all need, just like I need, you need, we need the light of Jesus. We need all, as much of the light of Jesus as we can possibly get. And that is what God wants. And that's why God sent Jesus, to reveal God so that we can know God and have a life that is truly worth living. Jesus is the light and life of the world. And it was truly a holy night when Christ the Lord was born. 
And that holy night continues to this day and for the rest of eternity because of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the reason for the season of Christmas. Jesus is the answer for the world today. For above him, there is no other. And as O Holy Night, the last verse that uh, Tanya sung, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. With all our hearts we praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Amen. Amen.